Welcome to the Fellowship College Podcast. We're starting this new season with a bang. A big bang. Well, friends, listeners, the world, whoever is listening to this right now, we missed you very, very dearly. We have not been in this podcast room. It seems like months and I think it has yeah. been close to months. Clearly, we have no idea what we're doing because it took us like six tries just to even get <laughs> the intro right, just full transparency there. And so we're figuring it out, but we're excited to be here. And so this season, if you remember at the end of last season, we kind of gave a little spoiler. This season, we want to tackle some of the most difficult or controversial or confusing passages in the Bible. And so if, if last season we took kind of more a topical approach to issues that were going on in our culture and around us in the church, this season we want to look at the, at the Bible, focus in on specific passages and try to make some sense of it. We're, we're not afraid to ask the hard questions. And so we're actually going to work our way through the Bible this semester. And so the only place to start today would be Genesis 1 and 2. But, bef- but before we get there and before we start talking about creation, I was curious as I was reading this passage about like the plants and the animals and stuff like that, if you could choose one animal that either would have not been created or let's go ahead and say would have been left out of the evolutionary chain or didn't get on the ark. You know what I'm talking about? Which <laughs> which animal would you like vote off the island, so to speak? Just to clarify, if you remove this animal, it would not impact the rest of the web, <laughs> correct? I can't confirm or deny that. Well, then I'm, I'm not, not in control. <laughs> <laughs> there is a butterfly effect, so. I don't know how the web works, so I'll just throw <laughs> one out there and see what happens. Um, I hate Oh my gosh. I gr- growing up just here in Northwest Arkansas, especially during the summer, seed ticks, big deer ticks. I mean, they're all over the place and it is the bane of my existence going out. How the often, woods, how often grass. do you get ticks? Oh, yearly. And especially like growing up in like middle school and high school, whenever, you know, we do all kinds of stuff out in the, like the woods and like bailing hay and stuff like that in the summer. Oh my gosh. Ticks everywhere. So I grew up in oh California. Gosh. We don't have bugs there. So it's like it's no, no bugs, no nothing, no allergies. So I moved here and got terrible allergies, found out about bugs and ticks. <laughs> I, I'm echoing this. I play disc golf, which is tick city. So I get ticks every year as well. And the very first tick I had, I didn't even know what to do. And like Aww. my father-in-law had to remove it from like, from like my, my thigh, like upper thigh. Like it was oh. like, it was oh. like, it was very intimate. <laughs> so I'm like, wow, I do not want to get more of these, but I get them, I get them every year and they freak me out as well. Mm-hmm. I, I like oh. that one. It's a good answer. Just drink your blood. It, like, did he use like fire? Well, it, it all depends on how, how quickly you discover them. Okay. Mm-hmm. They don't like bear, like burrow themselves until like it takes some time. So if you find them quick, I could just Hold like fl- yeah. you can just like flick them off, but if they if they've burrowed, you have to get some like sanitize some tweezers, 
and and you don't pull the body you have to find the head and re- and remove them so it Ugh. The head doesn't just stay in your body. So for all our listeners, please note that uh, next time you find a tick crawling on your body, you can go back to this podcast mm-hmm. <laughs> and buy tick spray. Seriously, it. it works. Um, I would actually bugs count, right? I'm assuming we talked about ticks, so bugs count as animals. We did just discuss bugs' life in depth a few <laughs> That's minutes true. ago. So. Okay, so I will say another bug: mosquitoes <laughs> and Eily. I read an article that apparently if mosquitoes were removed from the world, that it would literally not impact the web. Boom. I would like to see this What's article. What's There are so many creatures that feed on those little boys. Yes, but apparently like they could just eat other bugs. Like they don't depend on mosquitoes specifically. Okay. Um, to to survive, Eileen. I wish that, you could see Eileen's face right now. She is triggered. <laughs> she is trying to be kind and responsive, but you could just see in her head right now is is so many thoughts, so many emotions. Mosquitoes are a good one. <laughs> I, just, I just said that to make you feel better, but if it makes you mad, I'm sorry. <laughs> she just thinks your whatever exactly. article you wrote read was wrong. Whatever. whatever. It was Buzzfeed. No, I'm just kidding. Oh my gosh. Okay, Josh, what's your answer? My my answer is like the classic answer. We're not getting into Genesis three today, but if we were, it'd fit in perfectly because I'm I'm deathly afraid of snakes, mm. mm. like deathly afraid. If I don't care, people are like, "Oh, that's a gardener snake." It's like I don't care what type of snake it is. I don't care how big it is. I don't care if it's a glorified worm. <laughs> I am terrified of them. And so part of playing disc golf too is you're in these places where there are snakes. And there's like seasons of the year where I'll just stay away because I, I don't even want I don't even want to know that snakes are anywhere in my vicinity. So I cannot wait for snakes to be gone. Because they will not be in heaven. I oh. I, <laughs> I can oh. say that confidently. Dogs will be there. Oh. Snakes will not. Oh. Uh-huh. And my dog will be there. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, I'm not answering this. Question. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Eileen, you're, you're not a biology major anymore. What, what about an animal you just don't like? You don't have to remove it. Just one you don't like. I mean, I don't think anyone likes mosquitoes. So I feel We've like used that, that one. Okay. One. Well, I, I, you know. Okay. Just for you, Eileen, because you're having a bad day. <laughs> <laughs> this wouldn't affect any of the other animals okay. if you remove this one animal. Thank you. Well, I don't like snakes either. You guys took all the good ones. Or the bad ones. Mm. Oh, okay, yeah. I don't know. What do I not like? Um, uh, butterflies freak me out a little bit. Are you kidding yeah. me? What? <laughs> <laughs> you would what? remove, of all the animals in the entire okay, world. I'm really attacked today. You would remove. Really targeted. So I think we should move on. <laughs> okay, we're moving on because you would remove butterflies from, that was moths, the one. Moths, I'll, I'll do that instead. Moths are gross. Thank you. Yeah, why are, moths and butterflies aren't that different, but there's a big difference. Mm-hmm. Don't moths poop on you? Moths I, eat your clothes. They're gray and leave dust yeah. everywhere. And they kind of have like no social skills. And so they're not <laughs> like, butterflies are like, they're like gentle, they'll land on you. Moths are just like having a panic attack around <laughs> the room. Like, they're just like, what's up guys? <laughs> 
<laughs> okay, we need to get to our content. We, we, have, we have way too much. We're already just talking about how there's no way we're going to have time for everything. So we're going to dive in again. This year, we want to spend time in specific passages. And so we're going to be in Genesis 1 and maybe 2 if we, if we have time. I've already wasted eight minutes. So, uh, so these are the first words of our, of our Bibles. And it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And so right off the bat, we need to ask some context questions. And you're probably gonna hear this from us way too much this semester, but we really want you to have this ingrained in you, this idea of context. That if you really wanna understand what a passage is saying, you have to understand to the best of your ability, the original context. And so this passage cannot mean for us something that it didn't mean for the original audience. And so who was the original audience for Genesis 1? Um, yeah, it would have been Israel and God's chosen people. The author, you know, Moses, maybe not Moses. Most likely. Most likely Moses. Um, he was writing it um, at about the same time he was writing the rest of the Torah. So the first five books of the Bible. And he was, uh, including the law, he was um, just, you know, telling a lot of really good stories uh, to tell the Israelite kids at bedtime. Nice. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. And, Josh didn't know what to do with that comment. <laughs> Jacob just goes, nice. <laughs> yeah, thinking about Israel, uh, one thing that I love, because you can nerd out on the history part of it, yeah. but this is also like a really ancient people um, in that area of Israel, Sinai Peninsula, like Pal when you think Palestine, that area of the world, that's kind of like the cultural context. Um, and it's not even that modern area. It is a very ancient area, which, yeah, again, a lot of times you got to kind of do some reading uh, as to figure out what that actually looked like, but that would have been Israel. And they're not the only people around, right? Like they have neighbors. They have the Egyptians and the Babylonians and the Assyrians. Mm -hmm. and, and these cultures have their own creation accounts. These cultures have their own beliefs and um, just ultimately culture. And so that's something to take into account. These Israelites would have been familiar with it. They would have known what was going on in the culture surrounding them, right? Like here in good old Arkansas, United States, we've got neighbors to the North in Canada and we've got neighbors to the South in, in Mexico and Central America and, and they have their own cultures and different things. And so that's something to keep in mind as well. Yeah. And so uh, right off the bat, just as, as kind of an example of what we're talking about, right off the bat, we, we need to identify our own cultural sociology, sociological biases and that we're bringing into this passage. And so in that first verse, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We think, okay, yeah, he created you know, the universe, the galaxies, all the stars that we see, like the, the cosmos. He created the whole globe, the solar system that has like us traveling around the sun. Yeah, he created all those things. And already we've, we've gone too far. Already we've put our own biases on it. And in fact, the words heaven and earth would have just meant to this original audience, God created the sky, and he created the land. And it wasn't even this like 
the 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 universe and the whole globe. It was just those things up there that we can see, and then our our land. And they wouldn't even have known how far that would have stretched. Like just the the ground. He created the ground that we walked on, and so we see we see our biases kind of coming in already. And so we're not gonna dive into like every little detail. I wish we could. Maybe maybe another season we'll like really dive even deeper. But this is just to say, every time you read a new book of the Bible, every time you read a new passage, make sure you're putting on this lens of the original audience. Uh, as one of our coworkers says, he says, make sure you, you check your passport. Like when you go to a new country, instead of just bringing all your American things to them, like, like you, you're in their country now, like you're in their world now. And so make sure you have, have that, that the right passport, make sure you have the right lenses on. And so um, then the rest of this chapter, we see God creating in these six days. And so in these six days, just real quick, y'all can read, read this passage. Day one, he creates light. Day two, sea and sky. Day three, land and plants. Day four, sun, moon, stars. Day five, there's like fish and birds, and day six, there's there's animals, and then there's humans, and so we see in each section we see it finish with there was evening and there was morning on the first day, and then there's evening and morning on the second day, and so on and so forth. And so it's really important if we're going to get our appropriate context, we need to know what's the purpose of giving this account. What's, what's the author trying to convey to his audience? Because that changes how we're going to, to read this. Um, well, I think, and I might kind of walk around this question like I always do um, in the way that I answer it, but when we read this, we in the 21st century automatically think order in the understanding of like one, two, three, four, five, like day one, it was this. These are the steps that yeah, God steps. took That's in this good. exact same, yeah. But the culture of the people reading this would have seen this in the sense of order being something that is um, like being formed, moved around, established. And so um, there's a, a scholar named John Walton, and he kind of uses this analogy of a home versus a house. And he talks about how the Israelites would have read this and they would have seen the ordering as the creation of a home. And so that can look like moving furniture in, like actually making it homey, whereas um, the creation of a house, while a house and a home are pretty much the same thing, they're also different in different ways. And so um, we as Americans would, or I don't know, 21st century people would see the order as making a house and it would be like putting up the... We're building a house right now. And so it's okay, like there, there yep. is a process. And if one thing doesn't happen, you can't move on mm-hmm. to the next thing. Yeah, the plumbing. Mm-hmm. The, yeah, they put up the whole uh, structure. Yeah. And so both of those descriptions are talking about creation, the creation of a place where you live. But one is talking about the ordering of a home and the other is talking about the ordering of a house. And so there are differences there. And so kind of going back to what you were saying, Josh, like we have to be able to check our passport into the culture that, that we are stepping 
into and, and understand how they would have interpreted this. Yeah, a big part of that too is even thinking about reading scripture contextually. Uh, it's figuring out what type of literature it mm-hmm. is. And you can dive way into the weeds, especially just Genesis 1 through 3, as to um, what exactly type of literature that is. Is it any different than all of Genesis or all of the Torah and things like that? And so that'll influence um, even how you get to what Eile was just talking about with, is it this just one, two, three, four, five, six is what happened in all these days? Or is it a really carefully crafted literary piece that is informing itself and it's trying to make a point other than just like a blueprint, like what you were talking about. And so what are a couple of these, like the main kind of camps that people fall into when it comes to like what we would call hermeneutics, how, how you study the Bible, how you like what lens you're reading the Bible through when it comes to Genesis one and two specifically, what are the main, main ways people are viewing this passage? Um, the two like most broad camps that you can fall under are concordist and non-concordist. Um, so talk to us in English. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, so like, um, concordist or some people use the word literal. I don't like that word. Um, because I feel like it's then everything else is non-literal and you know, that can just have a negative connotation, but the concordist view is basically, okay, you read Genesis, one and two as again like very like step by step things were physically created like on that day in that time versus non-concordist is more allegorical so it's more like poetic kind of story like more symbolism and metaphor than that like yes literal step-by-step process as a concordist view would have and for those that don't have a lot of experience with allegory. When you say something's allegorical, it doesn't mean there's no purpose to it. Mm -hmm. Like allegory still like has intention Mm -hmm. and allegory is still trying to teach something. It just may be different than if it was literal or concordus. And it also doesn't remove from any um, historical aspect of what that, subject is about and so like in the beginning the statement in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth it's making a statement that god created everything and it's going to go through and talk about kind of what that looks like what that means um and so it doesn't remove this aspect of like oh well then did god even create everything it's like that doesn't necessarily introduce that question um i know whenever i first started like learning about the different types of literature that popped up. I was like, wait, how does that impact what happened? Did it remove it? Did it make it fake? But that's not, that's not what that means. Yeah. I think that's a really good point. Yeah. There are different genres of literature that compose the Bible, right? Like we have very just historical narrative, um, almost cut and dry. We have historical narrative. That's more poetic. Um, Genesis one and two in the original Hebrew is so poetic in nature. And, um, you know, we have letters in the Bible, we have poetry, we have the Psalms, like there are so many different genres, um, in ways in which we read the Bible and it doesn't mean any, it doesn't mean one genre is less inspired than the other. This entire Bible is fully inspired by God. And so, and when we say that too, the Lord dictated the words 
of our Bible, but the Bible is also fully human. So just like we say Jesus is fully man, fully God, the Bible is fully divine in nature and it's fully human in in nature because man wrote it and God wrote it um, as man was being carried along by the Holy Spirit. So that's just something to remember too when we're reading this, um, when we are talking about these different interpretations of Genesis 1 and 2, um, there are things that we are solid on, right? Like all of these, like everyone in this room, all of the the people who have studied this, um, who are claiming like Orthodox Christianity, they are believing that God is the creator and that he sustains the world. And that's the the key thing of Genesis 1 and 2. Now, the, the question lies in, okay, how did he do that, right? Did he do that over billions of years or did he do that over six 24-hour days? And that's kind of where those questions lie. But everyone does get down to the fact that, hey, God is the one who created everything. Um, he he has no beginning. He has no end. Um, he is the one who created the universe and he's the one who sustains it. That's good. And that's a that's a good reminder. Again, for this season, you'll probably hear this a lot. There are there are orthodox things that are that all Christians hold on to. They're like central primary doctrine that we hold on to. There's secondary issues and then there's what we call like either third tier or tertiary issues. And this is not a primary issue. That doesn't mean it's not important. We're talking about it because it is important. But, it, but what it means is we can disagree with other Christians on this and still have this bond of unity and love uh, in, in Jesus. And so we got to remember that, like, hey, let's talk about it. Let's dive deep into these things. But if these are the things that are going to distract or divide, then we've actually missed out on, on what's important. I guess I should say what's most important, because this is important, and, and I want... Like, I think we should all be scholars. We should all be trying to understand what did this author intend for for this audience. And so when we think about Genesis 1, we think about the six days of creation, or even to expand that, the creation of of the universe, what are different views uh, that we have even today of how, how the universe was created? Uh, yeah, there's, there's actually a wide category, which again, whenever I started, um, following Jesus in college, uh, I was unaware of this. Uh, it was very new to me. Um, but some of those include, which uh, probably a lot of people listening to this and then including myself, uh, grew up in what would be like a traditional young earth. This is six 24 hour days. Um, kind of blueprint thing that we've been talking about. Uh, and there's a lot of people who are who, you know, way more than all of us sitting here in this booth who are like, yes, that is what I lean towards as far as what creation or how um, creation happened. Uh, there's another view called day age. And so whenever you're reading Genesis 1, uh, specifically Genesis 1, uh, those days, um, morning and evening, those statements uh, are supposed to reflect um, vast ages or eras of time. And so uh, that's the type of reading that you're starting to bring in. Okay, well, the earth seems to be like really, really old. How do we kind of combine those two, reconcile those two? And a lot of that comes down to that Hebrew word yom. Like, is it a literal 24-hour period Mm -hmm. or is it like uh, what we call like an epic or like a, a period of, of time mm-hmm. that, that's undefined. Yeah, exactly. Um, there's another one called historical creationism. 
and so this is where just as one one uh, depicts God creating everything in the universe and then beyond all of the rest of chapter one going into chapter two uh, it's God like preparing this land of Eden that we see uh, the first humans Adam and Eve dwelling in um, and you get into six literal days there and so it's kind of like a mix of those two uh, there's another one called uh, functional cosmic temple and so this is where um, you're really diving into like the historical context of ancient Israel, uh, the, how they saw the world, their worldviews. And it's uh, basically that uh, Genesis 1 and 2 is God creating this cosmos, giving it purpose, filling it with specific things, and basically creating his dwelling place that on day 7, he will eventually, when it says God rests, it's kind of like him sitting on his throne in his home and we are there with him. And that's like purpose and function. And just a cool side note for that. Every, all the first six days say like there was morning and there's evening on that day, kind of like symbolizing that, that day started and that day ended. Or if you want to say that period of time started, that period of time ended, but then that doesn't happen with the seventh day. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people would say with that view specifically, we're in the seventh day mm -hmm. right now. Like we're, God has invited us in to be as a Mago day, to be image bearers of him. And we're, we're currently in that right now, this, in this cosmic temple. Mm -hmm. And here's our purpose to be fruitful and to multiply in this cosmic temple that he created for us. Yeah. Which is really cool. Think and about our, himself, yeah, yeah. our own lives right now. Um, and John Walton, the guy that I mentioned earlier who talks about that house versus home kind of mm -hmm. understanding, he holds that cosmic temple view. So he teaches a lot on that and he's got a ton of books that just go deeper into that view. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The house home analogy falls into that. Um, there's another view called a polemic view. And so a polemic is basically a, a story from culture that is written to rival other stories from surrounding cultures. Uh, and so it would be that Genesis 1 and 2 are um, taking aspects of other cultures around them, like Mesopotamian, Mesopotamian culture, uh, and what they held as how the world began, who the gods are. And it's kind of like warring against those creation views. So they had their own gods, their own idea of what our purpose is, and Genesis 1 and 2 is like a direct attack saying, no, Yahweh is the one true God. This is actually how it happened. Uh, and you can see like similarities that go back and forth there, which is kind of really cool. <laughs> it's, it's really cool because the similarities, and we can't go through like Marduk and all these like Babylonian, Assyrian, like Egyptian creation narratives, but it is really cool if you have time and if you're a nerd like us, like to go and look at those and to see the similarities because then you notice the differences and it's the differences that are really important. Mm -hmm. It's the differences that, that you see, Oh wow. Yahweh, like Yahweh gave, gave purpose to, to his people. Yahweh created them in his own image. This is, this is how Yahweh like did things. And this is, this is like the actual purpose of, of creation and especially compared to some of these other ones where creation is just slaves and they're just subject to whatever the gods or nature dictates to like the way that, that we believe we were creating the purpose for that 
actually gives gives a lot of life and freedom and and dignity where these other creation accounts like basically enslave the the people to creation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, the Bible Project has a really great um video on those specifically on different like cosmic origin theories of the surrounding cultures, so y'all should definitely go and look at that. They it's- also have on Spotify like a five-part mm-hmm. uh podcast just on cosmology. Yeah, like, it's called ancient cosmology. Yeah. Yeah. It is really helpful mm-hmm. in preparing even just for for this podcast. Mm-hmm. They're way smarter than any of us. Yep. Like, <laughs> it's, it's like, I took about 10% of that. I'm like, okay, those are the things I, I actually understand that you said that. So, so as Christians, Orthodox Christians, where, where are the places that we can land and where are the places that we can't land? We talked about this a little bit last season, but just as a, just so people aren't feeling like they're <laughs> isolated or just in order to like make sure uh, we keep, keep the primary things, the primary things. As a Christian, where can you land and where can you not land? Yeah. Well, going on with that list of like different beliefs, there are some people who are Bible-believing, Jesus-following Christians who hold to um, the, the theory of evolution. And so when it comes to that topic, and we talked about this in our evolution episode, but there is a difference between um, like deistic evolution, theistic evolution, and atheistic evolution or naturalism. And so um, people like, you know, Dawkins or Hawking, um, they're going to hold to a very naturalistic or um, like atheistic evolution perspective. And so that is just that everything in the universe came about um, by chance. There was no divine force in that at all. Whereas theistic evolution, or sorry, sorry, deistic evolution is, okay, yeah, there's a deity who um, kind of got the ball rolling. Like they they started the creation of the universe, but then they kind of went off and did their own thing and kind of like dropped humanity, whatever. It didn't really care. Whereas theistic evolution or... Um, I prefer uh, creation, creationary evolution, um, just because that puts, you know, creation as, or evolutionary creationism, that puts creation as like the forefront of, hey, there is a creator, you know? So anyway, evolutionary creationism or theistic evolution, that is talking about, hey, God is the creator and the sustainer. And the way that he went about that was through the process of evolution. And so um, uh, Dr. Dennis Lamoro, he is a professor, incredible scholar up in Alberta, Canada, and he writes a lot on this topic. So like, you know, we're throwing out a lot of names to you guys, by the way, like this podcast is not going to go into depth at all with Mm -hmm. the amount of just things that could be talked about. We spent about. eight minutes talking about animals. There's no way we can <laughs> anything. So please go and look up these people. Look up John Walton. Look up Dennis Lamoureux. Um, look up Ken Ham. He is the main guy on the forefront of six-day creationism of, of a young earth. Um, yep, he's he is a Bible-believing brother in Christ that we are to be kind to. Um, and, okay. yep. <laughs> it took a lot to, to say that. I just want you guys to know that. Yeah. Um, anyway. Okay? Do, you, yeah. do you need a minute? I might need a minute, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> he is a, he's a, anyway, anyway. I, um, believe, I believed you when you said that. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, what was your original question? I think I just kind of went, oh, yeah, yeah. You, okay, so basically um, you can't be a Christian and believe that God didn't create the earth. Mm-hmm. Like that that ain't it. Or that he created and left. <laughs> right. Because literally by the time we get to chapter three, we see God's walking with 
Adam and Eve. Yeah. And, and he's with with his people. And so yeah. that's good. Thank you for, <laughs> for answering that. <laughs> and so by the time we get to chapter two, this is just a hot take for me. I'm like, who who did the breakdown of these chapters? Because mm-hmm. anybody in their right mind would would have chapter two start actually in verse four. Because literally chapter two starts, thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. And he goes into the seventh day. The seventh day, God finished his work. He rested, he blessed it and made it holy. And then he rested, it said, from all the work of creating that he had done. Pause. And then verse four kind of does this weird thing. Verse four of chapter two of Genesis says, this is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. And you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Didn't you just spend over, over a chapter just talking about this? And then all of a sudden in chapter two, we get this second account of creation. And it looks, in my opinion, very different. Mm -hmm. So what's going on here in chapter two? Are there two authors? Are there like people that are disputing this? Are they having a disagreement? Why, Why do the creation accounts in chapter one and chapter two look different? What's the reason for that? Yeah, there's um, uh, part of this is also uh, it'll depend on how you're reading this section and what type of literature that you think it is. Like a lot of people actually argue that for because for us, we've broken everything down into chapters and verses that it would help us if we even moved that break all the way to chapter four. And so you get the narrative of chapter one, two, three as one continuous story, and then it breaks to something else. Um, that's that's one you know, view yeah. that people uh, might take. Uh, but as far as, okay, well, yeah, why does it kind of like start over? That's a really good question. And there was um, there's a guy, his name's Marty Solomon. Uh, he has a podcast, another reference for you guys go check out, called the Bema Podcast. Uh, he's a Jewish, he's a Messianic Jewish scholar. So he's a Christian, he's Jewish. Um, he specializes in Old Testament. Uh, and he actually encourages from a from the Jewish Hebrew culture, uh, people who are not from that culture, to as you're reading, especially things like in the Torah uh, and in narrative, whenever you have a question like that, that is that is what is supposed to happen, mark it. Uh, and so as you keep reading, even like through chapter two, so it starts off with that, that question, wait, didn't we just hear the order? Like, okay, I guess we're doing it again. Wait. It's a chiasm. Yeah, it's like, is this a, is there a different order? Um, and you know, you keep reading, you can go all the way through chapter three with this. It's like, why did God take a rib from Adam to make Eve? And why is there a talking snake? And like all these things that if, if you just are reading it, there should be a lot of questions. And that's the point. It's supposed to make you begin wondering what's going on. Mm -hmm. And as you keep reading the narrative, even beyond chapter one, two, three, you go all the way through Genesis, that narrative is continually coming together. Uh, And so, yeah, there's a lot of different takes on, okay, why does it start like that? Um, One take that I really like is that uh, if anybody's ever seen Star Wars, you know, the beginning, they have like the 
um, the, the whole script. The yellow font coming yeah, down the Yeah, and screen. it's talking about what has happened before and what's going on now. And then that leaves and you're like in the middle of outer space. And then it zooms in on like a ship flying through space or one of the planets or yeah. something like that. Uh, it's a similar, that's a narrative structure really where you take big broad pictures zoomed out. So you just laid the foundations of purpose and order or um, specific like chronological order or whatever kind of view you take in chapter one. That's the script in space. And then you end up zooming in on a ship or a planet. And so then you look at unique details about what's going on on the ground with um, with the creation of humans and how they're interacting with the things around them and with God. Hmm. Um, that's a really helpful one that I kind of lean into whenever I'm reading it, but there's also plenty of other things. And it's also kind of like part of it's like, I, I don't know, 100%. It seems like maybe to me that's what's happening, but I'm not going to die on the hill for that. Yeah, it's almost like the original like author would have seen his audience and it was almost like thinking, hey, I'm going to give you this creation account, whether it's like literal, allegorical, concordus, not concordus. Um, and then I, I want to focus in on, on what's most important. And so if we think about Israel, especially probably a lot of people first reading this would be second generation Israel about to go into the promised land, like about to go into this conquest and seeing the failures of like their, their aunts and uncles and parents and, and needing to be reminded of their purpose, needing to be reminded that they were created for a reason. And so Moses or whoever you think the author is like zeroes in and focuses in on, Hey, like this is, this is creation but here's the focus and here's the purpose that you were given. Here's the relationship that you have with Yahweh. And here's, and here's how, like, if you want to go into this land, here's the type of, like the type of things that need to be restored. Here's how it started. And, and hopefully here's how it's going, going to finish. And so I actually think it's really, really cool that, that they do that that they give this 10,000 foot view and then, Hey, here's how, here's what you really need to, to know. Yeah. I think just like you said, like we need to focus on like the main point that the author is trying to get across. Um, and I know we're, we're about to wrap up here. Um, and so I just want to make sure it's clear that there are a lot of different views <laughs> on, um, how, God created the universe. And when we are looking at Genesis one and two, if we are looking at it in like a, a sequential view or like that concordist view of like everything happened in a certain sequence, whether that was over six days or whether that was over billions of years, there are issues that you have to deal with. You know, like um, if you look at Genesis one and two and you put them side by side, the order seems to not go in the same order. Like it seems like there's some contradictions. And so um, even if you were to just isolate Genesis one, you know, how could you have um, like plants be created before the sun, like plants need to be able to photosynthesize, you know? So like there are questions that you have to ask and you have to deal with if you hold to certain views. And that goes for the other side too. Like um, 
so, so while the the concordus or the you know sequential uh, six day creationists or thousands of years creationists they have to deal with issues like that people who are on the other side who have more of an allegorical take on genesis one and two they have to deal with issues like okay what about adam you know like what what about when we read in romans and, and paul talking about adam and and um sin and how that was passed down how can we interpret that if you know Adam is just a metaphor or, or is Adam a real person? And then, you know, you have other issues you have to deal with. And so I think it's just important to remember that, um, we are trying to be as faithful as we can to God's word. Um, and while, you know, the Bible doesn't mean whatever we want it to mean, um, we can be responsible readers and studiers of God's word to try and step into the context of these people and best understand what the author and what God was trying to get across. That's really good. And so whether whatever side you fall on, like most likely, I know like these debates get started with, with like Christians versus atheists on the, the order of, of creation and evolution and all, and all these things, m- most likely, and I'd, I'd say this pretty strongly, Moses was not a science teacher to trying, to tell, trying to tell Israel, okay, God has spoken to me and has given me the exact like structure of how everything was created. Like that was like far from the purpose of this account was to give this like exact timeline of when everything was was created. And so we have to remember as, as we kind of wrap this up uh, of, of the purpose that if you're listening to this, that there's, there's still purpose for you, whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, there is purpose in, in this creation account that God has not just created things, set into the motion and left you alone, that God has actually made you in his image, that God has given you, given you dignity and purpose that God wants to walk with you and have a relationship with you. And that both, whether you're male or female, you're in his image, that, that there's not just a, like a man thing. And so when you, when you read this, this, this should be encouraging. This should be purposeful, like to go be fruitful and multiply, whatever that looks like in your context or in your season of life. This was, this was written to remind you that, that God cares for you and he has a purpose for you and that, that he is ultimately the center and the source of all things, that all things are from God, all things are through God, and all things are for God. And so next week, next week, I know that probably uh, leads to a lot more questions. Next week, please come and talk to me. Talk to us. Mm-hmm. We're going to be talking about does God change his mind? Until then, grace, grace and peace. peace.